0: This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, August 29th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Dr. Mahoney says goodbye. Governments talk housing. Again, local lawsuit asks oil and gas to help pay for climate change and a mountain weather forecast. But first... KOTO's free-form music format is delivered by local DJs. These enthusiastic volunteers fuel the spirit of the station and keep it fun and funky. Show your support for the community that makes your community radio station. Go to KOTO.org to donate and thank you. San Miguel County Search and Rescue assisted on two incidents over the weekend. The first was for a hiker on Saturday who reported a lower extremity injury in the Mount Wilson area. Search and Rescue used the San Miguel County Sheriff's Office's helicopter to provide information to the Dolores County Search and Rescue, who rescued the man. He was taken to the Telluride Regional Medical Center for care. Also on Saturday, Search and Rescue assisted the Montrose County Sheriff's Office to search for a missing kayaker on the San Miguel River between Norwood and Natarita. The man was located and transported to safety. He did not need further assistance. After six years at the Telluride Regional Medical Center, Dr. Christine Mahoney is leaving, moving to Maine with her family. As Mahoney steps into the next chapter, KOTO News sat down with her to look back on her time in the Box Canyon, beginning with her first memory of the Telluride Regional Medical Center.
1: My first memory is when I came to interview, and that first day when we came in to meet um, meet folks and I met with Dr. Grundy first, Um, she was wearing flip-flops. And I was like, Ooh, this is a good vibe. <laughs> and then, um, as you know, we, I toured the, um, whole med center and met a lot of people and it just felt like such a tight knit family. And that felt really, um, really right. And then leaving when we stepped out of the, the front door, um, a little kid was like skateboarding up to the front door for his appointment. And his mom was like getting out of her car and, and meeting him there. And I was like, oh, right. Okay. Like free range kids, flip-flops in the workplace. <laughs> I can do this. This
0: is awesome. <laughs> Huge question. But, you know, looking back over your six years, what has it been like?
1: It has, the The one word that really sticks out in my mind is growth. Um, on a personal level and a professional level. Um, Try not to cry. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Profound, profound growth.
0: What's the best part about the Telluride Regional Medical Center?
1: Um, The people. Yeah, both um, the people I have... um, been honored to work with, and also all of our patients. It's just been um, a really unique setting to be able to um, really be a sort of intimate, tight-knit crew at work and also um, just be involved in people's lives uh, in the way we do, work. you know, caring f- for folks in a small community.
0: You know, it's hard to not look back over the past few years in a medical capacity and not talk about COVID. Totally. <laughs> um, what has what was that like? How has that impacted your experience being a doctor in this community? It feels like a blur. And I think I'll
1: have a lot more perspective a little farther out from it, like most of us will. But it it was just one of those times in our life where... There was only one thing that needed to be done. We needed to figure out a way to serve the community. And there was no questions asked. Like, everybody just stepped up and we figured it out together. Um, I'm deeply proud of not only the Med Center, but just the whole community with how everybody responded. It was a a beautiful thing to see how the Med Center and community partners all came together to support folks and then as well how we were supported by the community
0: you've kind of already touched on it but or what I imagine will be your answer as you head off into this next chapter what do you think you're gonna miss most about being a doctor in Telluride and working at the med center
1: the people absolutely um both the people I work with <laughs> and my patients. Um, I think that's one of the hardest things is um, the way uh, the way I approach patient care is I d- give a lot of myself and and truly care about my patients and um, it feels like a breakup <laughs> like all day long saying goodbye to everybody and um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna I'm gonna deeply miss folks here.
0: Looking forward to that next chapter. Um, what do you what do you have planned for for where you're going next?
1: I am taking a break from medicine for a little bit. I, I'm envisioning maybe six months, and my goal is actually just to rest and get really quiet, spend a lot of time in nature, and see um, see what comes up.
0: Well. Dr. Mahoney, I know that Telluride, we're all going to miss you immensely, but we're all really excited for you as well to take this next step and, and be, begin a new chapter of, of your life and your journey. So thank you for being a doctor to us for all these years and for coming in and chatting with me today.
1: Well, thank you for having me, both the community for having me here and um, all of you at Kodo <laughs> for always being here yeah, i'll I'll keep listening from Maine.
0: <laughs> Dr. Mahoney's final day at the Med Center will be September seventh. Dr. Sharon Grundy is stepping in as Director of Primary Care. Local governments are talking affordable housing again this week. On Wednesday, the Telluride Housing Authority will discuss the feasibility study for the Lot L development, that's the Shandoka parking lot. The idea is to build a mixed-use structure with parking, housing, and transit-based commercial space on the lot. The conversation will look at the feasibility and conceptual plan of the development, including the purpose of the project, opportunities and constraints, and potential alternatives to the concept. The Telluride Housing Authority will hold the discussion at two different times. Both will take place on Wednesday, August 31st, the first at 9 a.m., the second at 6 p.m. The meetings will be hybrid, on Zoom and at Rebecca Hall. On Thursday, the Mountain Village Design Review Board will review the initial architectural and site application for an affordable housing project on Lot 644 in the Meadows. The for-sale project will include 29 employee condominiums with a mix of one, two, and three bedroom units. There will also be 56 spaces of parking. The meeting will take place at 1 p.m. on Thursday, September 1st. The meeting will be hybrid at Mountain Village Town Hall and via Zoom. The community is encouraged to attend all the housing meetings. Colorado and the American West is living through years of drought. Recent wildfires have been the worst in state history. Colorado's average temperature has risen by two degrees Celsius in recent decades. Scientists say all these effects are caused by climate change. So today we're rebroadcasting a story originally aired in December 2020. While those climate change statistics have an impact from an environmental standpoint, according to San Miguel County Commissioner Hillary Cooper, they also affect the pocketbook of state and local governments.
2: Our roads are deteriorating faster than they have in the past from extreme temperatures. And then, of course, the the effects on our economy of extreme weather and especially drought conditions and the effects that that has on the ski area's ability to operate and then also our farmers and ranchers.
0: Cooper says the changes in climate means the county needs to budget more money for climate mitigation and she says they had a choice. Either going to our taxpayers
2: and increasing their taxes or we can go to these companies who are making massive profits off of their sale of Fossil fuels and make them accountable for at least a percentage of what it's costing local governments.
0: San Miguel County went to the companies. In 2018, San Miguel County, along with Boulder County and the city of Boulder, representing both urban and rural parts of the state, filed a lawsuit against ExxonMobil and Suncor Energy to make them pay a portion of the price for climate mitigation on the local level. Exxon and Suncor are two of the largest fossil fuel companies working in Colorado. One of Suncor's two U.S. offices is in the state. The Colorado municipalities are not the first to file similar lawsuits. There have been cases in California, New York, and Hawaii, to name a few. But the Colorado lawsuit is the first to be filed by governments in a non coastal state. Marco Simons, general counsel at Earth Rights International and part of the legal team for the lawsuit, says they wanted to tell the story of climate change from a different perspective. It's
2: not just about sea level rise and it's not just about coastal communities, but it's really affecting everyone all across the United States. And there's a range of climate impacts that are visible to many folks in in Colorado, whether that's the, the changes in precipitation and snowpack or the damage to forests, heat waves and wildfires, all of these impacts which which are happening throughout the mountain west.
0: Simons says the first aim for winning the lawsuit is to collect damages for San Miguel and Boulder. But there is a secondary aim too, and it's wrapped up in tort law.
2: What tort law essentially does is it shifts the cost of dangerous or injurious activities. On to the people who are engaging in those activities rather than simply the victims.
0: In this case, Simons argues Exxon and Suncor are the agents, with residents and taxpayers in San Miguel and Boulder as the victims. His hope is by shifting the cost, the lawsuits can also shift behavior.
2: Whether that's cutting back on the harmful activities especially where the cost of those activities might exceed the benefits, and or to raise the price of the products that are, that are causing those harmful effects so that if they are continuing to sell fossil fuels, that the costs of, of the harms of those fossil fuels would ultimately get priced into them.
0: Now, the litigation process is long. Filed nearly five years ago, the Colorado case still hasn't been approved for trial. But policy experts say lawsuits like the one in Colorado are having an impact already. Noting as the lawsuit moves further into the court process, and there's discovery and hearings, oil and gas companies may lose their social license to operate, or acceptance from the general public. Attorneys representing ExxonMobil and Suncor in the lawsuit did not respond for comment, neither did Suncor Energy. Exxon spokesperson Casey Norton commented in an email that lawsuits such as this one in Colorado, quote, waste millions of dollars of taxpayer money and do nothing to advance meaningful actions that reduce the risk of climate change, end quote. But with the loss of a social license, oil and gas companies might be forced to change direction or risk losing investment. That's according to Patrick Parento, a professor of environmental law and former lawyer with the Environmental Protection Agency. He says banks that finance the oil and gas companies are looking at the rising number of lawsuits.
2: And of course, they're looking at the science and they're beginning to get nervous. You can begin to see that the financial institutions are going to be disinvesting um, in oil and gas and reinvesting in renewables. Um, So I think these cases could actually result in a major disinvestment in, in these companies that will push the energy transition that we're seeing happening already even faster.
0: Time will tell if the tides are turning on the oil and gas industry. Until then, San Miguel and Boulder counties, the city of Boulder, and all their residents will be stuck with the bill. As Kermit the Frog once said, it's not easy being green. But EcoAction Partners is looking to make going green a little easier for businesses with a Green Business Roundtable event. EcoAction is encouraging businesses to come together to share information on how they're being environmentally conscious with an opportunity to share experiences, gather resources, and learn more about EcoAction's Green Business Program. The roundtable event will take place in Telluride at the Wilkinson Public Library on Tuesday, August 30th at noon and in Ridgeway at Hartwell Park on Wednesday, August 31st at 830 a.m. Registration is available at ecoactionpartners.org. A strong monsoon season continues to bring drought relief to much of the Colorado River Basin. New Mexico and Arizona have seen some of the biggest improvements. Wyoming and Colorado have also had wetter conditions over the past few weeks, especially on the western side of the mountains. Utah is still experiencing the worst drought in the region. Precipitation forecasts this week show near-average rainfall for much of the Colorado River Basin. While rain is helpful for plants and wildfire suppression, this summer's strong monsoon won't make much of a difference for the water supply, which mostly depends on winter snow. The Secretary of State's office is done checking the signatures for all the ballot initiatives submitted for the November election. As K.O.T.O. Scott Franz reports, voters will weigh in on everything from magic mushrooms to school lunch funding.
3: 11 questions made the cut for the November ballot. An effort to allow grocery stores to sell wine is among the last initiatives to qualify. Other questions include a push to dedicate a portion of the state's income tax revenue to affordable housing projects, and a proposal to legalize psychedelic mushrooms as a treatment for depression. There are also some big questions that failed to make the ballot. Supporters of an effort to outlaw most abortions in Colorado failed to collect enough signatures. State lawmakers are scheduled to meet Thursday to start editing the election guide that will be mailed out in September to all registered voters. I'm Scott Franz.
0: This November, voters in Colorado will weigh in on a ballot measure to fund universal school meals for public school students in the state. The funding for the so-called Healthy School Meals for All measure would come via a limit on state income tax deductions for those earning more than $300,000. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KGNU's Alexis Kenyon has more.
4: For the past two years, the federal government has funded universal free school meals at public schools nationwide. As the pandemic devastated millions of families, the federal government stepped in and waived fees for the school lunch programs. Ashley Whelan, the director of Hunger Free Colorado, says when schools started offering free meals to everyone, they realized just how many kids weren't being fed.
0: We saw so many more students participate this last year. And we I think food is as important as any other resource in school like books. We shouldn't be differentiating out at six years old about who should be able to get a free meal and who
5: shouldn't.
4: This school year, Colorado students are returning to a pre-pandemic lunch program, which means kids have to fill out paperwork proving their families make under the state's poverty threshold in order to qualify. Whelan says with inflation and cost of living, the threshold doesn't reflect need, and that $100 per kid extra a month for school lunches, for thousands of families, it's more than they can afford. It means, you know, paying the electric bill. It means paying for groceries at home. It means helping
0: pay that rent or that mortgage. You know, it's so expensive. Housing in Colorado is soaring.
4: The costs of it are soaring. And then, you know, for a lot of those students, this is the only good meal they get a day. Xander Kashub, a kitchen manager at Jefferson County Schools and president of the Food Service Association at Jeffco, says he thinks reverting to the income-qualified lunch system is a step backward
3: clicks form because some kids are bringing all their food from home and some kids have to rely on the free food from school. Um, there have been times in my school when certain groups or certain kids have been bullied.
4: Have you ever had to turn down a kid who wanted lunch and couldn't buy it?
3: Yes, I'm, I have to. Yeah, I'm, I'm told to. So yeah, that happens. It's not a rarity.
4: What is that like?
3: It's gut-wrenching. It's heartbreaking. It really is. Why can't we just give them food? And it's, it's hard. It's a really hard line to try and tiptoe.
4: The Healthy School Meals for All campaign would make free meals permanent for all public school kids in Colorado by giving a sliver of wealthy Coloradans, people making over $300,000 a year, a little less of a discount on their taxes. For those people, rather than being allowed to write off $30,000 for things like charitable donations, the state would limit that deduction to $13,000. The difference would fund meals for about 60,000 Colorado public school students, and the cost to the wealthy Coloradans paying for it would be less than a day's work. Here's Ashley Wheeland again from Hunger Free Colorado. For those who take standardized tax deductions, we think their tax liability is uh,
0: around $500 more. If you look at the data, those who itemize are those who are really, really wealthy. <laughs> so, and then that's about, we estimate folks impacted, it's about 3% of Coloradans would be impacted in their taxes. And that's state tax dedu- deductions. It doesn't
4: change the federal tax deductions. Some states don't have any allowance of state tax deductions. A measure to make school meals free for all public school students was introduced during the most recent legislative session, and it stalled in the Senate Appropriations Committee. As with all public funding issues that involve taxes, in the state of Colorado, it has to be put up for a public vote. And that's because of something called TABOR, or the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights. Tabor, a law that passed in 1992, prevents any tax increases in Colorado without the consent of the majority of voters. And Colorado has a history of aversion to tax hikes. Michael Fields of Advanced Colorado Action, a conservative policy nonprofit, says while taxing people may sound like an easy solution, there's no such thing as a free
6: lunch. Our organization, Advanced Colorado Action, is pushing for a tax cut against the, what they call affordable housing measure, given that it's taking taper refunds, but just throwing out some of these concerns about this specific, you know, meals ballot issue too.
4: Field says one of his concerns is that a limit on tax deductions may really discourage charitable giving.
6: I just haven't seen a study to say how much will this actually impact nonprofit charitable giving and is what they're doing more important than, you know, the half of the population that doesn't need these free lunches, right? Like this is a huge step to say we need to make sure every single kid has free lunch even if they aren't in those gaps or low income. So, I think, you know, this isn't just that we're going to tax wealthier people, it could impact how much giving happens because of those write-offs. I think that's a pretty weak argument against doing this.
4: Elliot Goldbaum is the Director of Fiscal Policy at Colorado Fiscal Institute.
6: People don't solely give these charitable gifts for tax purposes. They give them for a variety of reasons. They give them because it's a cause they believe in. They give them because um, it's something that they feel like is the right thing to do with their money. And I think most people see through that. I think people see that rich people aren't going to stop giving money to charity because now we can pay for school meals. And I think that if people are interested in racial justice, in economic justice, then tax justice is really important too. And we need to look at ways to make sure that we are correcting some of those historical injustices that have taken place and not, not continuing to have a regressive racist tax code that really makes it so that Black and brown people are much more likely to pay higher tax rates than the rich.
4: Xander Kashub, the food service worker at Jeffco Public School, says healthy meals for all is really about values more than money.
3: When we switch to the free food, instead of asking them for money, I could ask them how their day went. And it's just a completely different attitude in a kitchen when you don't have to worry about money. I mean, kids see that. And kids, cooking for kids, cooking for anybody says, I see you and I care about you, and so Healthy school meals for all is really about supporting that success in everybody in our communities.
4: In the meantime, public school students whose families don't have incomes low enough to qualify for free and reduced lunch, they're back to paying for meals at school. If Colorado voters do approve the healthy school meals for all in November's election, the earliest it would take effect would be for the 2023-24 school year. The
0: National Weather Service forecast for the Western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low around 50 degrees. Tuesday there's a 20% chance of showers and thunderstorms with increasing clouds and a high in the mid-70s. Tuesday night there's a 10% chance of showers and thunderstorms with a low around 50 degrees. Wednesday should be mostly sunny with a 40% chance of showers and thunderstorms and a high around 75 degrees. Wednesday night calls for mostly clear skies with a low around 50 degrees. This has been the news for Monday, August 29th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. We would like to thank everyone who has donated to Kodo during our summer fund drive. A huge thank you to Eric Miller, Becky Campbell, Gloria McKittrick, Steven Steinberg, and Lucy Lerner, Katherine Davis, Dina Woodruff, Rebecca Felker, Ricky Baer, Paul Fagan, Suzanne Chevins, and John Rontrobsky. Gene Milner Jr., Dawn and Jane Berman, Jamie Renee Cowgill, Drury Penn Jr., Bubba Shell, Dave and Erica Domeland, Audrey and Eric Moser, Wes and Tracy Fuller, Rosamond Strong, Pam and Stu McCready, Julie Ballard, Alyssa Smith, Rick Jensen, Tim and Jess Galast, Tara Harvey, Robert Mellich, Steven Sands, Deborah Pruitt, Simon Pruits, and Jennifer Wells. Thank you all. So
2: much. Thank you me be
0: and now, personal commentaries.
7: El caucus de mujeres progresistas se enorgullece de presentar Mujeres, Sabiduría y Dominación Mundial el miércoles 31 de agosto a las 5 y media en La Libertad una hacia nosotros para una noche de conversación y desarrollo comunitario con la oradora invitada Jimena Smith, quien nos ayudará a comprender mejor los derechos reproductivos, dónde estamos y hacia dónde vamos desde aquí. Anteriormente, Mujeres Vino y Dominación Mundial, hemos cambiado el nombre de este evento fundacional para que sea más inclusivo para todas las edades y estilos de vida. De ahí he cambiado de vino a juicio, independientemente del nombre. Este evento se trata realmente de la construcción de relaciones y la conversación. Nosotros, como Consejo de Gobierno del PWC, queremos crear un espacio seguro para que nuestra comunidad participe en conversaciones difíciles, sin importar su edad o género. Nuestra increíble oradora invitada, Jimena Smith, es abogada corporativa en un bufete de abogados internacionales. Se especializa en leyes de fondos mutuos y tiene una práctica pro bono activa que representa a los solicitantes. Desde asilo ante tribunales de inmigración en California y Texas. Su pasión por los derechos reproductivos comenzó cuando era una estudiante de pregrado en USC Berkeley. Nació y creció en Lima, Perú, y reside con su familia en Telluride, Colorado. Así que marque sus calendarios para Mujeres, Sabiduría y Dominación Mundial, el miércoles 31 de agosto a las cinco y media en La Libertad.
5: The Progressive Women's Caucus is proud to present. Women, Wisdom, and World Domination, Wednesday, August 31st, 5.30 p.m. at the Liberty. Join us for an evening of conversation and community building, featuring guest speaker Jimena Smith, who will help us better understand reproductive rights, where we are, and where we go from here. Formerly Women, Wine, and World Domination, we have changed the name of this foundational event to be more inclusive of all ages and lifestyles, hence the switch from wine to wisdom. Regardless of the name, this event is really about relationship building and conversation. We as the PWC Governing Council want to create a safe space for our community to engage in difficult conversations no matter your age or gender. Our amazing guest speaker, Jimena Smith, is a corporate attorney at an international law firm. She specializes in mutual fund law and has an active pro bono practice representing asylum seekers before immigration courts in California and Texas. Her passion for reproductive rights started as an undergraduate at UC Berkeley. She was born and raised in Lima, Peru, and resides with her family in Telluride, Colorado. So mark your calendars for Women, Wisdom, and World Domination, Wednesday, August 31st at 5.30 p.m. at the Liberty. Thanks, Koto.
8: Hi, everybody. This is David Nevsky. Town of Telluride's Public Information Officer, and I'm here tonight with the Town of Telluride's Water Division Manager, Katie Duty, and she would like to kindly remind the community that we
5: are still, still in a, a drought. drought.
8: Even though we've been experiencing our seasonal monsoons and accompanying mudslides, we are in fact still in a drought. Southwest Colorado has the lowest stream flows and reservoir storage in the state. Katie. Why are the stream flows so low if we've had precipitation over the last 30 days that has been 131% of normal?
5: Well, David, it's because the higher temperature is increasing the evaporation, and so the drought still continues.
8: What are some helpful tips to ensure that we are conserving water in this time of drought?
5: It's the simple things like turn the faucet off when you brush your teeth, take a shorter shower, and fix those leaks around the house.
8: And I'm sure these tips will also help you save money on your water bill.
5: (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks, David. (laughs) Thanks, Katie. Also, please follow the Water and Wastewater team on Instagram at TellurideWWTP for the inside look.
8: Thanks for tuning in.
0: Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on Access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at CODO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.